heart for his house campaign is Northridge's response to that great commission. In 2018, it increased our total giving by one third. This giving above and beyond your time enables us to invest in missions, church plants, local outreach, orphan care, and much more. Our heart is to see lives changed by the grace of God. So we are committed to using our treasure to create that change. This is the Sam's family. They are missionaries currently living in Portugal, strengthening the church, building meaningful relationships, and living among the local people, all the while introducing them to Jesus. When you give to Harper's house, you allow them to have a home so they can continue impacting lives for Jesus. I have been here since the first day. When I, when I was in the project, I didn't know anything about Jesus. So I used to be very aggressive. My life was kind of difficult because my, because my mother used to get drunk uh, many times. And I didn't want to be like her in that sense. Here in the project, they taught me how to follow Jesus. They taught me about the Bible. Thanks to the project, I know that God is the true, the life. And if I follow Jesus, if I follow God, I will have to be worried about nothing because it doesn't matter where I go, it doesn't matter the place, I have always believed that everything I have, it is because of God. Since I get graduated from the project, I didn't have money to pay college, I didn't have money to go to university, and you guys are the one who provides the money for me, the things I need. I think God has been good with me because I think that you are such a great blessing for my life and all the things you have done with me is something that I cannot describe with words. There's nothing more powerful than hearing the Word of God in your native heart language. Even one portion of the Bible translated into a heart language can transform a person, a family, or an entire community by revealing God's Word in a way they have never experienced. At Illuminations, our goal is to translate the Bible into all the languages so that we can share the good news with every single person in the most effective way possible. Please join us as we continue to support a global movement called Illuminations. God's Word has the power to change the world, and it's our job as the church and His followers to get that Word out. But the world isn't just out there, it's right here, just past our doorsteps, in our neighborhoods and communities. Well, it was about six years ago when Hope is Alive began. And it was just one house and five guys. And today, we have 11 homes and are serving over 100 residents. Men and women are changing their lives in Oklahoma City, in Tulsa, and now even in Wichita, Kansas. And it's because of your support and heart for his house that we've been able to expand and grow. And I wanted to tell you thank you so much for your support and for believing in the mission to radically change lives. My life has been a disaster. I was sexually abused at a young age, and I was involved in gang activity, and it wasn't until after high school that I was actually um, became addicted to the needle.
I knew as soon as I walked in the door, there was something different about this place. My fight to survive was over and these ladies here, they're gonna teach me how to live. I got a brand new life. And that was way more than I ever expected. Thank you, North Church and Heart for His House for partnering with Freedom House so that we can continue to, to grow and I can always evaluate myself with y'all's messages. And, and thank you for just helping me get to where I am today. The church is the hands and feet of Jesus. Programs like Love OKC help our community every year by providing free resources like haircuts, groceries, family portraits, medical care, and so much more. The Love OKC Student Conference goes even further by painting homes and helping to clean our local schools. Heart for His House supports these programs and also helps to provide school supplies to orphan care facilities such as Lilyfield and several schools in the Oklahoma City Metro. This is how Jesus wants the church to be, and Heart for His House provides us the resources to fully impact our community. The, the local church is so key. Our call to make disciples means that we need to bring Jesus to people where they are. That's why we are so passionate about planting churches. And there's two things that our Heart for His House dollars allow us to do plant churches like our Guthrie and Deer Creek locations, and it also allows us to help train up and support church planters all over the country. We are investing our resources to create incredible life change, but that's not where it stops. To keep spreading God's message, we believe that we need to raise up leaders within the church, and that's the mission of North School of Ministry. My name is Haley Scully, and I work full-time in ministry. I've been in schools of ministry and seminary. I feel like I have a close growing relationship with the Lord. And then school of ministry took me deeper. And it took me in deeper directions that I didn't want to go in. There have been walls that have come down. Years and years of specific beliefs about ministry, specific beliefs about theology, um, some cultural beliefs, some denominational beliefs, and the Lord has opened my eyes to new things and um, just challenged the way I thought things, they are what they are what they are. And I've loved the, the freedom and the depth that I've gotten through School of Ministry. I didn't expect it, didn't expect it, but I'm very thankful for it. Because of your faithfulness, Harper's House is making a difference for God in our city, our state, and our world. Our vision for 2019 is to expand our international ministries to offer more help for refugees, to support and grow our church plants, and become more effective in our support of local schools and underserved communities in our city. You can be a part of helping us fulfill Jesus' Great Commission support Heart for His House, and see for yourself the work God's doing in His house, the church. Come on, let's give it up right now for 
all the things that's happened in 2018. What a great year. What a great year. And many of you are wrapping up your commitments for 2018 to Heart for His House. And say thank you for that. Matter of fact, I look back over this past year. It's amazing to think whenever we started north, I was just praying, God, wouldn't it be credible over a period of accumulated years that we could give maybe a million dollars away? But do you realize this year alone, 2018, we have given as of about right now close to $1.5 million has already went out. Get that, $1.5 million. Now, that's not bad of a response, but let me just say this. If somebody said, hey, somebody just put $1.5 million in your bank account, you would respond differently. <laughs> and what we're doing here is for the kingdom of God. This is eternal significance, and so it is truly, truly exciting. But I've got a question for you. The question is this. If everyone gave like you gave to North in 2019, this upcoming year, if everybody gives like you give, what would be the state of North Church a year from now? Now, this is not about, that question is not about equal giving. It's about equal obedience. It's about obeying God with what you have been given because what you see in all that has happened has not happened by chance. It happened because people actually sacrificed, they actually obeyed, they actually contributed, they actually gave. Okay? So it's easy to applaud. But it's a whole different ballgame to be a part. Because that takes buy-in. It takes giving to something. So I want you to take a moment at all locations right now. There should be a house for his, house for his, uh, heart for his house card that's a commitment card for 2019. Yes, we're wrapping up 2018. But there is a card. Even if you have already made your commitment, I just want you to hold on to that and just pray for those who are yet to make their commitment. Okay? So just simply get it. It should be close to you in the seat near you. So just get that. Hang on to it. And I'm also excited because I know that your commitment to heart for his house is being doubled. Because as I mentioned a couple of weeks back, okay, is that we have had a commitment from someone that said, you know what, I want to match dollar for dollar. Now think about that, folks. That means whatever you give toward heart for his house is going to be matched dollar for dollar. Okay, if that's $500 for the year, if it's $5,000 for the year, if it's $50,000, it's all going to be doubled. That is amazing. Come on. That is good. Yeah. But when I say that, that's not about the, the, the sacrifice that was given that in, which is considerable and amazing, but it's about you knowing that your commitment to obedience and what God asks is now going to actually going to be increased that many times over, which is truly exciting. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 41. I'm starting a new series today called Don't Be Afraid. During this time of the season, oftentimes fears began to hit us from all directions. So I'm going to talk about not being afraid. And speaking of that, when I talk about Harford's house, oftentimes there's, there's a fear that comes on me. It's a fear of missing it as I communicate it. It's a fear of like not laying it out there good enough for you. It's also a fear for you not being, jumping in and being a part because I see the benefit of radical obedience and hearing God's voice and obeying him when it comes to sacrificing and giving. I've seen it in my life, how God has continually done far above what I can even ask or think because of obedience. And I want you to experience the miracles of God in your own life 
through obeying God. In Isaiah chapter number 41, it's a powerful, powerful story. I'm going to break that down in just a moment. But let me just show you something in regards to my family that happened this past uh, week. Uh, I was trying to get my dog to come up the stairs. Now, here's the background on this story is that I've got two little dogs. Uh, We call them our little kids that are still left in the house. And we have a little girl dog named Lucy, very, very small dogs. She's actually about half the size that he is, and he's small. And then a little boy dog. Girl dog's Lucy. Little boy dog is Cass. And so we moved into a house that has two stories. So the little girl dog would never go up the stairs. She couldn't, really. But the little boy dog immediately started following me up the stairs, coming back down the stairs, following up, down the, up the stairs, come back down the stairs. Well, one morning I got up really early, and the dogs were up, and I, I, I grabbed the little girl dog, took her upstairs with me, and the little boy dog followed me up the stairs. Okay? I get a, this, this little room in the back part of the house up at the top that I have this little recliner and this desk, and I kind of study, and I put the little girl dog on the bed, and the little boy dog got up with me in the, in the recliner. And so I'm studying early morning. And then Shannon, about 30 minutes later, gets up, and she's moving around the living room in the kitchen, okay? And my little boy dog jumps down to go see Shannon. And he takes off running, and we have wood floors. And he takes off running toward the stairs. And when he gets there, I can't see him, but I can hear him. He is running across the wood floors, and all of a sudden he puts on the brakes and starts sliding. But he didn't stop in time. And he hits the stairs, and it's like thud, 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 boom. And then he hits the landing. And I hear him just whimpering. And our heart's breaking. And Shannon immediately hears that too, and she responds to go to Cass, picks up Cass on the landing halfway up the stairs, and then begins to walk up to where I am. And, of course, I see Cass, and we kind of, you know, love on him a little bit. And then Shannon grabs the little girl dog and begins to take her down the stairs. This, this story's not over, folks. <laughs> okay. And Shannon has both little dogs, and she's taking them down, and she slips on the stairs and falls, holding the dogs. Well, I get up and run now to check on my wife, and she's okay. She's brute. Matter of fact, over the next few days, she bruised up in her thigh and elbow, but she was okay. But those dogs were, like, shaking violently, (laughs) traumatically impacted by the events that have happened. (laughs) And so from then on, my little boy dog has never wanted to go back up the stairs again. (laughs) Matter of fact, when I call them and they know I'm going up there, they run the opposite way. (laughs) And so this past week, I really, really worked hard at trying to get him to come up the stairs. And watch this and check this out. Come on, Cass, you can do it. Come, come on, come on. Come on, buddy. Come on. Cass, come. Good boy, good boy. Come on, next step. Come on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's about how much he trusts me. He said, I'm not putting myself in that this position again. But you know, oftentimes I think we do that with God. We've had disappointments, we've had discouragements, we've had fears, we've had things that have not went our way, uncertainty, and we stop, and God's saying, come up higher. Come on, trust me. And then we kind of put, and we're like, no, I can't go anymore. I want you to write this down in your notes. 
Write this down. Fear stems from placing faith in a worst-case scenario or in something or someone that doesn't have the ultimate say. Did you get that? Let it soak in for just a little bit. Oftentimes, we do not just trust God with what he has given us because we simply have had a worst-case scenario. We're dreaming up something or we're, we're not really putting our faith in the right thing, person, who's God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, it's a beautiful passage. Matter of fact, one of my all-time favorite scriptures comes in verse number 10. We'll get there shortly. But it's a story of the children of Israel who really what is going on is they've been in Babylonian captivity. They've been taken from Israel, from Jerusalem, and moved to Babylon hundreds of miles away. And they've been in captivity for many years. They've got their fears. They've got their disappointments. They've got their broken trust. They've got all this going on in their life. And now they've got this Persian empire that's coming in to overthrow the Babylonians. And now they've got this new fear. Okay, they've settled into Babylon, and they've learned how to just kind of be what it is there that, that they could be. But now this other enemy is coming in, and they're like freaking out. And some people are making these idols under their God, thinking that that's going to save them. And that is not going to save them. And so God begins to correct them and say, hey, you're placing your hope and your dreams in the wrong thing. you got to learn to trust me. So just bottom line, th this, this message, if you don't deal with uncertainty, if you never deal with discouragement, if you never deal with doubts and you never deal with fears, then you know what? You can check out. This is not for you. But my gut is all of us or a lot of us struggle with that because I know I sure do. And there are a few thoughts that come out of this passage that I want to share with you today that hopefully will build your faith. And first is this. When you face adversity, fear not. God's presence is with you. I heard a story some time ago, and it was, it was a really cute story, you know, about this uh, professor or this teacher at a school who was agnostic and really questioned the existence if, if there was a God. And this one student who was really kind of, you know, sold out to God and stuff, and this professor, this teacher knew it, and so he kind of called him out in the class and said, hey, you know, I've got an apple for you if you can, like, prove to me right now and where God is. And, and the young boy stood up and he said, well, hey, I'll go get you a barrel of apples if you can prove to me where God is not. And it is so true that God is everywhere, even in your adversity, even in your struggle. Look at verse number 8 of Isaiah 41. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. Now, what he's doing there is God's saying he's reminding them of who they are. Oftentimes, when it comes to the struggles of life, we've got to remind ourselves of who we are. That we're children of God. Verse 9. I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, You are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Okay, verse number 10 is my favorite. It's one of my all-time verses. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Isn't that good? 
And in that, he gives two commands, he gives two reminders, and he gives three promises. Did you get it? What were the two commands? Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Now, how many of you know that that's easier said than done? If somebody tells you, oh, don't be afraid, oh, don't be discouraged, you're like, what? I can just shut that off? I can just shut those feelings off? And just immediately they're, they're gone? You know what I'm talking about? And it's easy for us, if you're not the one dealing with it, it's easy to say it to someone else, right? But if you're on the other one and you're the one dealing with it, it's hard to just shut that. You can't shut those emotions off. They're very real. But he gives them a reminder, and the reminder is the key thing. God says these words. I am with you. I am your God. No, no, no. There's a difference when it's a third person. And I'm saying God is with you. God is your God. Now, that, that hopefully can be encouraging, but it's a whole different ball game when God himself is saying it to you and you lay hold of that and you believe it, right? And so he's saying here, I am with you, even in your adversity, and I am your God. And then there's three promises. What are the three promises? I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my victorious, which reminds of the end, the outcome, what's going to happen, victorious right hand. Woo, that's good. There's a song that I grew up singing as a little kid. I hadn't heard it for many, many years. It's something like, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Something powerful about that. This past trip to uh, Kenya that I made, I, I left here after doing multiple services with our revival and then Sunday, and then I got on a plane right after experiences, after taking our last speaker out, Mercy uh, Lutu out to eat and her family and then we went straight to the airport got on a plane, went from there to Chicago Chicago to London, London to Nairobi, Kenya, but when I got on the landed in London I knew that we were pushing it because we had gotten behind on the schedule from Chicago and then, and then we had a narrow window and then we sat on the tarmac for an hour waiting for a gate to open, I'm like thinking we're here, my plane's just right there and I'm like we and then finally, when they let us off, I rushed across the fast as we could, to, or I could, to get to the, um, to the next flight. And as soon as I got there, they just had closed the gate. The plane is still sitting there. It hadn't taxied off. And I'm, think, I'm begging people, like, please let me on. I said, nope, everything's accounted for. We can't, Mr. Fouts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and I started scrambling to try to find the next flight. There was no other American Airlines, no British Airways flights going uh, the rest of that day, it's going to be the next day. But I found one flight, it was a Kenyan flight, that was going to be later that evening. So I was scheduled to arrive after a nine-hour flight from London into Nairobi, nine-hour flight, about 11 o'clock to midnight that night. But now I was going to take a later in the afternoon flight and hang around the airport, worn slick already because I haven't slept pretty much the night. And now I'm going to be flying an all-night flight, landing at 5 a.m. in the morning the next morning. I have to be at the church at 7.30 in the morning to start speaking at 8.30, to speak all day, go into the evening with no sleep. And I'm like, this is not going to be fun. And so, but when I found this Kenyan flight, and British Airways helped me get on that flight, they bumped me up to business class. And now I'm thinking, yeah, I can actually recline back. I'm probably going to get some rest. 
I get there to this flight on Kenyan Airways, and guess what? I go in, and I am, I'm preparing myself. Sleep, sleep, sleep. That's all I can think. I get in there, and I'm kind of getting myself comfy. Even before that flight's going, I'm buckled up. I'm just going to fall asleep. And the guy next to me does nothing but just wants to talk. And I'm like, I'm not wanting to be nice. I'm not wanting to be kind. I'm not wanting to be a Christian right now. I'm just wanting to sleep. That's all I'm wanting to do. Because I know what the next day is going to bring. And if I don't get a few Z's, it's going to be very difficult. Because I've already been without sleep for some time. Traveling from Oklahoma all the way to London. And I'm like, I just want to sleep. And the guy starts asking me question after question about what I'm doing. He, he, he grew up in Kenya. But now he lived in London, a very successful business guy, and, uh, but he'd been through some difficulties. And so he keeps asking these questions that's getting to what I really do for a living. I don't want him to know that I'm a pastor. Because <laughs> then i got to be nice. I'm like, oh. And so finally, after so many questions, I, like, I couldn't hide it anymore. So he said, so are you like working with churches or pastors? Like, yes, I am. And then, he's, then he switches gears and then he starts asking me some questions about, he said, hey, he grew up Muslim, Muslim. He, he told me that. And then he said, I had this vision. And this vision, he begins to describe this vision. He said, it was of Jesus. And he's had it three weeks before. And he said, for the last three weeks, I've been praying for God to send me somebody to explain me what this vision means. And I'm thinking like, oh, man, now I've got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't want to do that. I just want to sleep. I don't want to. And for the next four hours, the four hours of this nine-hour flight, I am talking to him about Jesus. Taking him through him about scriptures. I feel like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, like the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I feel like this relationship is going on. I'm like, and for four hours, then... After about four hours, he gets tired, and he goes to sleep. And I'm wired up, and I can't sleep. You know what? God used adversity to prove that his presence was with me and that he was directing my steps, and he caused us to sit on a tarmac for 45 minutes to an hour to miss a flight so that I could meet a guy that needed to hear about Jesus Christ. You see, God can turn today's adversity into tomorrow's opportunities. Now, let me just break it down a little more. God can turn today's adversities into today's opportunities. The second thing I have for you is this. When you are being attacked, fear not, God will protect you. When you are being attacked, fear not, God will protect you. How many of you know that it's not the one that sits on the bench that gets the criticism? Come on, it's the one that's in the game. It's the one that's on the court. It's the one that's on the football field, the baseball field. It's the one out there. You know what? You know what the Monday couch, you know, guys, coaches and the, the, on radio are talking about? They're talking about the ones that made the mistake on the field. And none of them can do what they are doing on the field, but they love to talk about them that are on the field, Right? You know what happens? I found in faith that people who are trusting God and stepping out in faith are the ones other people are going to talk about, and the devil will put a target on your back. He will come at you with everything he has because you are in the game. So many Christians are sitting on the bench, and they need to get in the game. 
When Shannon and I left our position to go plant a church, people couldn't understand that, and we faced attacks. You're going to face attacks when you are doing anything for God that people don't understand, people can't figure out. They're going to come against you. Look at verse number 11. This is great. I love this. I love the Bible. Isn't the Bible great? Look at verse number 11. It says, see, all your angry enemies lie there, confused and humiliated. Anyone who poses you will die and come to nothing. Come on, preach it. You can use that at work tomorrow. Just kidding. <laughs> you will look in vain for those who tried to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to what? Help you. I was on... One afternoon, we took a safari trip while we were in Kenya, and it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, giraffes, elephants, lions, all kinds of things, wildebeest, crocodiles, killing zebras. It was just like crazy. And what I heard, the, the guy said, man, God apparently smiled on you because you got to see more than most people get to see, you know, they come year after year. One of the things that I was doing is we was in the safari truck, and one, one moment, we were installing a bunch of lion cubs, and I kind of hung my feet over kind of hanging outside. And the moment I did that, the guide who was taking us around yelled, put your feet back in. And so I put my feet back in. <laughs> and I learned this. Sometimes you just need to obey. Don't ask questions. <laughs> and what I found out, God doesn't expect us to understand everything he asks of us. He just expects us to obey him. And then the God tells us this. He says, those lionesses out there, if they suspect at any moment that their cubs could be attacked, they will attack. And you don't want a mama lioness coming after us, even if we're in a vehicle. Because those things are fierce and they are bad to the bone. Well, let me just say something about you. You're a child of God. And when you are attacked, God will act on your behalf to step in. It might not be at your timing and your way, but I'm telling you, he will step in for you. The next thought is this I have for you. Is that when you don't have the ability, fear not, God will make you powerful. Isn't that good to know? I want you to look at verse number 14. This is a powerful passage. And it says, though you are a lowly worm. Okay, they are feeling lowly. God has told them they're children of God, but he reminds them, yes, you are that, but, not, but I've called you out. I've picked you. He said, oh, Jacob... Don't be afraid, people of Israel, for I will help you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel. Now listen to what he says. You will be a, one, another translation says, I will make you a new threshing instrument with many sharp teeth. You will tear your enemies apart, making chaff of mountains. You will toss them into the air, and the wind will blow them all away. The whirlwind will scatter them. Then you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. 
I look back on my own life. There's a great struggle that I've had, and that is with speaking, public speaking. I've never felt adequate, and a lot of that's been because of my dyslexia, and which stems into reading, it stems to my issues, and I'm even reading a text. I will spend reading hour um, over and over and over and over again and still mess up. Work on words over and over again and still struggle. When I, when I was in school, I was always at the bottom of the reading list, I mean, uh, groups. I mean, first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up. I remember always being at the, the bottom of the rung. Uh, when I high school, I, I, I did well in science and math, and so that's why I went and majored in biochemistry, and I tried to avoid every paper I possibly could because I couldn't do that. But yet through all of that, even when I did some public speaking, when I was asked to and didn't want to, I was literally told by the judges in middle school and then one more time when I was in ninth grade high school, uh, do not do this. They literally, judges said, please do not. Do not, do not try to speak again. And I didn't. And it is amazing how when God began to call me to preach, I'm like, I can't do this. What I have found out that is true throughout the Scripture, God will take your inabilities and ask if you will be available to use them. Because God takes our weakest point and uses it for a strength for his glory. And I find that throughout the Word of God is true. Because unlike me, and not unlike me, there was other people that struggled in the Bible. Moses was a man who ran from God and for 40 years was in the desert. God called him out of a fire and says, I want you to go back and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what did he say? I can't speak. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah, God called him. He says, I can't speak. But you know what? God takes the weakest points of your life and he uses them to do something mighty. Why? To prove that it's not you, to, but to prove that it's only God. So that God gets the glory. I've seen it happen again and again and again and again in people's lives. Some people have said to me, said, you know what? God will not give you more than you can handle. And we put that on bumper stickers because it sounds nice, but it's not true. Now, for you that are confused about that because you believe that, that well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 does say something similar to that, but it's, re, it's, it's applying only to temptation, that God will not give you temptation more than you can bear. But trust me, when cancer hits your home, it may be more than you can bear. When divorce comes to your house, it may be more than you can bear. When financial struggles come to your house, it can be more than you can bear. When your kids go the wrong way and begin to fall into drugs, it can be more than you can bear. But let me tell you something. There is a God that says, I will allow you to face things that you cannot bear so that you can rest your faith and trust in me because I can bear all things in your life. Sometimes we got to act, not by what we're feeling. I've learned that in life. And I trust you, do not act by your feelings. Your feelings will get you in trouble. you got to act in faith. And you got to trust God. Let me give you one more thought. How many want one more thought? Yeah. i finish up here. I was, maybe I'll stop here. Yeah. I mean, one more stop. Okay. When you feel financially inadequate, fear not, God will provide. When you feel financially inadequate, fear not, God will provide. I see him do it over and over again. When Shannon and I left our position as an executive position, providing leadership for like 
500 churches and dealing with huge budgets, running a lot of people at events. We left that position, we went with nothing. We had not one church supporting us. We had no people not coming with us as far as any group of people. We had no guarantee of anything. We stepped out on nothing. And I remember having no pay, but I'd had a commitment to speak at these events in California, Texas, Missouri, for the whole month of January. So I was gone 25 days, 25 nights I was on the road, and I was speaking and raising funds for missions. I remember the last night I was in Houston, Texas, before I came back home from that trip traveling. Shannon's alone at home with the three kids. I'm not knowing how we're going to pay the mortgage in the month, much less everything else that comes with starting a church because we had no money. And, and, I, and I remember laying on the hotel room floor crying out to God saying, God, you failed me. That's what I felt. And sometimes you got to, you know, God can handle your prayers. Are you listening? God can handle your hurts, your disappointments. Take them to him. Don't take them to Facebook. They can't help. Take them to the face of God. Let him deal with it. He can handle it. And I remember crying out to him. And what I said to him, because we had raised, I had been speaking, raised over $2 million. $2 million. And I was doing this gratuitous. It was, it was just here. <laughs> All my travels were paid for, but normally I had a salary when I did these things. And now I'm not. And I remember preaching that night. But I remember saying, God, I've done all this for you. What's going on? Got on the plane, come back. We had opened up a mailbox. Uh, It's a P.O. box, P.O. box 30683. 30683. We went to that post office box many times and nothing was in it. Nothing. Not a check had come in, anything yet. And Shan and I were together that day. And I said something about going by the post office box. And she said, no, there's not going to be anything in it. Obviously, she had no faith either. (laughs) But we stopped anyway. I went in, opened it up, and I had started receiving, like, the dear resident mail, like the, you know, junk mail. And there was two pieces of that. I threw them in the trash. And then there was a third piece of junk mail, so I thought. It just said Accutran Services, Houston, Texas. It didn't relate to, I, I was thinking a church or a person that I may know. But it did say Reverend Rodney Fouts. But because it had that, not dear resident, I decided to open it up. I opened it up and began to read. And it said, Mr. Fouts, I don't, I've never met you, but you were in Houston, Texas just a couple of nights ago. And you spoke at a church with a bunch of other churches there. And I have a friend who was there. I wasn't there, but a friend of mine was. And he heard you speak. And he was inspired And I met with him with breakfast the next morning. And he was telling me about your message. And he also said that you're planting a church. And he said, last night when I was sleeping, God woke me up and said, send him a check. So immediately when he said that, I didn't see a check. And so I started looking for a check. 
And apparently it was trifold, and apparently the check was on the back side. So when I opened, actually it had fallen on the ground. And so I, I get down, and I get the check, and I pull it up. It was a check for $10,000. That was the first seed into the ministry of what now is North Church. I remember looking back, and that money is significant, obviously, but it was more than the amount. It was God just reaffirming that I've got this, and I can take care of you. I've never to this day met that guy. I don't know who he is. I sent him a note of thanks and appreciation. But God called out somebody I had never met, did not know, through somebody else that heard me, wakes him up, says, send me a check. Look at verse number 17. Because God is reminding the children of Israel who are struggling with their sense of inadequacy financially. Notice what it says. It says, when the poor and needy search for water, and there is none, and their tongues are parched from thirst, notice these words. Then I, the Lord, will answer. I'll answer them. And I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of waters in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, achia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I am doing this for all who see this miracle will understand what it means, that it is the Lord who has done this, the Holy One of Israel who created it. And everybody said, amen. Some of those words jumped out at me, and I want you to say them after me, that I highlighted. I will answer. I will never abandon. I will open. I will give. I will fill. I will plant. I am doing this. Come on, that's our God. Pray right now that you hear God's voice and you obey. God takes care of his own. I know for Shannon and I, we've made a commitment for the upcoming year. And also we have given a financial gift now. We've kept our commitment for the past year. And for some, our commitment is going to be huge for people. And for others, it's going to be small. But this is not about equal giving. This is about equal obedience. This is about you asking God, about God, how can you stretch me? How can I learn to trust you and walk in your favor? Ask him. Ask him. On that card, we ask for you to pray for Hartford's house. We ask for you to tithe in 2019. We won't have a number on that, but we're asking you to stretch out and trust God with the tithe. 
But we are asking for a number when it comes to committing to heart for his house. So that way we can know and we can begin to plan. We can plan for the future. And we can know the commitments that we can make. See, sacrifice comes before significance. But true sacrifice is never greater than your obedience. Because that's what it is. It's an act of obedience. And your giving, your giving is really a reflection of who you believe God is in your life. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you're speaking to us. I pray, God, that we're obedient with the small things and then you will increase all things. I thank you. God, for speaking to a man in Houston, Texas I've never met to this day. And he obeyed. Thank you that you caused me to miss a flight in London so that I could connect with a guy that I'd never meet so that I could walk him through a spiritual experience with Jesus. Thank you. And thank you that people are listening right now. They're going to obey you and follow you in Jesus' name.